Hi, I'm Deborah Holchip, editor of Michigan Today. In this episode of Listen in Michigan, my guest is Terry McDonald, former dean of the College of Literature, Science, and the Arts, and current director of U of M's Bentley Historical Library. Terry is teaching a course called 22 Ways to Think About the University of Michigan. It's a really fascinating look at the development of the university, literally as a case study of the history of and current issues about higher education in America. So, you know, the university opened in 1817 with two instructors and no students, and it has risen from there to become one of the leading intellectual centers in the world. And as Terry will tell you, that happened very quickly. He has a lot of interesting insights about the history of the university, one of which is the meaning behind that mysterious phrase at the top of Angel Hall. You've walked by it a million times. You may have read it. You may never have even noticed it's there. But little did you know, it has set the course for what the University of Michigan has become since its founding in 1817. Here's Terry. Why do we have universities? Well, part of it is because from time to time they're going to stand in front of society and say, wake up, folks. Um, That's the point. So if we believe that universities are a place where the motivating impetus is the search for truth, sometimes those truths are going to be uncomfortable for society. But that's a really important thing for universities to do. The University of Michigan was founded under the aegis of an act published by the Continental Congress of 1787 called the Northwest Ordinance. And the Northwest Ordinance organized Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, and Iowa, which was called the Old Northwest in those days, or I'm sorry, Illinois, not Iowa, and required free public education in every one of those states, which was never before promised in any country on earth. What the bill did was provide land grants to universities so they could sell the land and use the money to to establish a university in every state was was required to have a university. So the, the promise of free public education was fundamental to this sort of second stage of American history. So the university comes out of this really great and powerful kind of revolutionary imagination. The Northwest Ordinance was written by Thomas Jefferson. This was the tremendous belief in the Founding Fathers that um, education was crucial to democracy. And the phrase that was then put on the top of Angel Hall, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary for good government, Schools and the means of education shall forever be provided. And that's such a great statement. I call it the birth certificate. It it connects the university's mission, which is finding the frontiers of knowledge and teaching it, to this other very powerful interest, which is a functioning democracy. And the fact that the founding fathers, from the even before the Constitution was passed, believed that this connection between education and democracy was absolute. And so the university comes out of that tradition It therefore accepts that public role. It's had to invent that role. What is a public university? What does it do? How does it survive? What's it supposed to do for society? What's the connection between university and society? All these questions the university pretty much had to invent because it is one of the first public universities in America. And so that role of such a thing really wasn't very well understood. But step back and look up to the top of it and look at that motto and ask yourself, how are we doing? Are we making that connection between the frontiers of knowledge and the power of democracy? Because that's pretty much what we were founded to do. And how do we do that? How do we think about that? These are all great questions that I think are kind of inspiring when you stand back and look at the columns on Angel Hall and the, and the motto over the top of it. So why do you think it's important for people who come to the university to know about the history of the university and its significance in American culture and in the world? There's a variety of levels, I think, at which you can think of the university. Surprisingly, one is as an autonomous branch, an independent branch of the state government. So 
The university is declared autonomous of the state government and a co-equal constitutional branch of the state government in 1851. And the symbolic and practical embodiment of that is the, board, the elected Board of Regents. That becomes very, very important because it means that the university basically runs itself, as it still does to this day. The regents are the ultimate authority over the university, not the state government. The argument was made in the state legislature that if you want to ruin a university, put the state legislature in charge. So that autonomy has been an important part of the university's history at a very high level of generality. The second thing about it is it's a school. I mean, we, we basically teach students. And everyone from the greenest freshman in the dorm to the resident who does surgery on your brain is a student. And that's what that's why that's what we do. And therefore, we're going to, there's going to be a history of education in the university. The other thing that people forget sometimes about the university is we're a community by invitation only. Right? We're not a mall. We're a different kind of a place. And I think sometimes we can forget that. So every student, every staff member, every faculty member are here on invitation. And so we're a community of invitation and intention. So when we invoke these values of community and the university as a community, it's very real because everyone is a community. And when we talk about uh, treating people well within the community, that's also very important because, of course, we've invited everyone here. So now we need to figure out how can we all basically kind of get along and, and do things together. Another thing is that the role of the faculty in the university has been fundamental from the very beginning, and most importantly, the faculty sets up the curriculum. There, it's not as if everything is fair game for the university. And, nor can there be agendas attached to the university. In fact, the faculty determine what the curriculum is. They always have. This has been a very important function of the faculty all the way along. It reflects their expertise. And so that's another, I think, important theme of our history, too. So um, I was looking at your syllabus, and it's uh, you've got these different kind of eras that you look at. And so the University of Michigan sort of becomes a metaphor, I guess, mm -hmm. for concepts or cultural movements? The idea of a university, quite frankly, is that it is not simply a mirror of society. In fact, it's a challenge to society oftentimes. And faculty do that by pushing the boundaries of their fields, by discovering things that people are um, not always going to be comfortable with. Let's take President Angel's decision to eliminate chapel. It was a hugely controversial decision. So in the 19th century, uh, most universities either were religious or had a Protestant kind of a, uh, what I would call an evangelical Protestant religious, you know, framework. There was a difference between being anti-religious uh, and being non-sectarian. So there had to be a non-sectarian Protestantism on the campus, people thought. And President Angel arrived here and said, who, who could possibly believe that forcing someone to go to church is a good thing? Who could believe this? And so as of now, it's, it's voluntary. Well, wow, there was a huge uproar over that decision. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing. Why did he think that? Well, yeah. of course, it's because of his own experience and his own expertise, the, the, the discussions of the faculty about what's the appropriate role of these ceremonies in, in the university. The university is frequently doing things that outrage other people, but it's not just doing it to do that. It's because one of its roles, actually, is from time to time to question the things that society takes for granted, and off, most of the time because there's been kinds of new ideas. You could talk about the controversy over teaching evolution on the campus. Uh, but the university, again, under President Angel, said, Listen, you know, we have to do this. The scientific uh, movement was driving in that direction and, and, and validating that research. That idea that from time to time, the university students, faculty, others will do things that are um, in advance of some of the other aspects of society, um, that's just inevitable. 
I mean, this is, you know, people think, whoa, uh, if you want controversy, take a look at what science is doing in some of these kind of things. It's, it's quite amazing what, what scientists are, are thinking about these days. Uh, but the point is that the, the worst thing you can do, and let's go back to the original point I made about why did, why did the founders of the university in the 1830s and 40s want the university to be autonomous of political interference? Because they wanted it to be the place that was never trammeled, as, and that was the word they used, never trammeled by political agendas, that it was always going to be determined by the people inside the university who had the, in their view, had the expertise to run a university. Now, this is a tremendous grant of responsibility and freedom that society gives. And by the way, it gives that to every major university in America. You cannot be a major university if you are constantly being riven and controlled by people outside the university. For better or worse, that's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so most of our curriculum is driven by the frontiers of research of the faculty. So if you ask, why do we teach this course and that course in various departments, frequently it's because that's where the faculty research is driving the field. Um, sometimes people will ask, oh, you know, maybe I should teach a course that connects this to something else. So for example, I'm an American historian, why am I teaching a course on the history of the University of Michigan? Well, just it seems to me that people at the university should know something about themselves. But uh, even that is, is, is based to a great extent on new things that we've discovered about the history of the university. Is there something recently that you've discovered or some new information in the past year that you've come across? Uh, a faculty member just recently published a book on the history of Hillel at the University of Michigan. Just fascinating hmm. story. So in the 20s and 30s, Michigan was one of the capitals of anti-Semitism in America. And so to be a Jewish student at the university in those days was really complicated. Uh, and Halal, of course, was an organization that was trying to you know, organize and help um, Jewish students on the campus. So I think, I think something we've learned from that, first of all, just the history of this organization, for example, um, but also uh, the fact the university has been open to many, many comers, but it hasn't always been easy for the first generation of those comers. For example, it was legal until 1964 to discriminate in housing based on race, gender, or religion. So both uh, uh, African-American students, and female students, and for that matter, Jewish students, had a hard time finding a place to live in Ann Arbor. Um, and so we're learning uh, quite a lot about that, and it's all, all that is, is pretty new. So I would imagine, too, there's a day that you talk about Michigan sort of as a, a hub of social change, a uh -huh. social activity. People always talk about Michigan as being a place where all these movements kind of grew up. And um, The very idea that you take uh, students between the ages of, say, 18 and 22, and, and you put them together for four years, and you encourage them to think big thoughts about things, inevitably you're going to end up with people who are questioning social arrangements. For most of the 19th century, the, the most powerful place of conversation about social change was in religion. When students came to the University of Michigan until 1871, they were required to go to chapel. It was President Angel who abolished chapel, very controversial decision. He made chapel voluntary, very controversial decision. Uh, but the importance of that was that one of the most popular organizations um, on the campus was a student Christian organization, an organization that encouraged students to attend lectures on the relevance of what they were studying for social change. So, for example, famous reformers would come through town, you know, the social gospel people, Jane Addams used to come through, um, and speak to students in this, in this student Christian association to encourage them to think about the ways in which their education and, social, and society were meshing. So there's this long tradition on this campus of initially a religiously focused questioning of how does my education connect with 
what's going on in society. And oftentimes the question was, how can I use my education to better society? So that kind of set off, that built a social consciousness in the university in a kind of interesting way. That then led in the 20s and 30s to students who were much deeply engaged in the, in the rise of working class organizations in the state, in Detroit, you know, elsewhere, who were affiliated with national kind of student and working class organizations, uh, were connected with union agitation, for example, after, during the New Deal, who then brought those ideas to campus. And that, I think, was another phase of this. And it became more secular then because, of course, for one thing, the student religious organizations changed over time and the student body became more diverse. So in a funny way, the university's connection with social change really began uh, and became very, very powerful in the 1880s and 1890s when faculty and students together said to themselves, what's the relevance of what we're doing for what's going on in society? And that question has never stopped. So I, I think the interesting thing about this is it's not as if there's outside agitators coming in here and stirring up students. This has been a question that students and faculty have asked themselves since the 1880s at least. It's a relationship, too, so you're not always going to get along. Right. And there's right. so many people who have come through these halls That's over right. the years. Yeah. That, of course, people are going to be critical of decisions that are made here or... Again, the, uh, we, we are a community, and, and I think the most important thing that we all have to recognize is that inevitably, uh, and this, of course, is the hardest on the faculty, the community changes every, every year. The first time a student came up to me and said, oh, I'm taking your class because my dad told me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of what happens. That perspective is important, I think, for the whole, for, for everyone, for faculty, for students, especially for alumni and, and sympathizers of the university. So every, every group of students is new. And for them, all of these issues are new. And it's important to recognize that, you know, whether we're talking about students that are protesting or studying or on the athletic field, these are 18-year-old students starting off. These are people who want to be the best in everything they do. And that's a really powerful kind of thing that's been important about Michigan, I think. Um, they should have the, free, the leeway to find themselves in, this, in, in the various ways in which they can on the campus. And alumni and some, sometimes faculty have to kind of step back and, and let that happen. And what that is going to be is unpredictable. And sometimes it's going to seem like it's not the way I would have done it or somebody else might have done it, but it's an important part of the self-discovery. If we really believe that part of the experience of being at a university is to discover new things, create new things, believe new things, then we have to be open to let that happen. And from time to time, that means that students and others will discover things that we may not agree with, um, but that's part of the experience, and we have to, I think, within, within some limits, we have to be basically relaxed about letting that happen. Well, that is true, and it's worked for the past 200 years. I'm sure it's going to work for the next 200. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Terry McDonald for taking the time to talk to me. If you'd like to subscribe to Listen in Michigan, please visit iTunes or tune in and search for Listen in Michigan. Otherwise, you can listen to past podcasts here at the Michigan Today website under the podcast tab. All right, well, we'll see you next month. Until then, as always, go Blue.